Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hey folks, it's Rena Jadhav here, founder of HealCircles.org and host of the podcast, Healthier Podcast. And welcome to our show today where you're going to have the most fascinating insights into healing and what is the core of healing. And with me today is a fascinating guest, Dr. Anne-Marie Chiesson. Hi, Dr. Anne-Marie. Hi, Rena. From energy healing to then getting conventionally trained as a MD with uh, private practice, and then of course getting trained in integrative pr- uh, medicine, shamanic uh, healing, and um, you had a wonderful stint with, uh, and you still are at uh, Dr. Andrew Wild's Integrative Center down in Arizona. Wow, what a journey! And you're here today to talk to us about your book, Energy Healing. Can we take a look at the book? There you go. Uh-huh. Energy Healing: The Essentials of Self Care. Um, but before we dive into your book. I want to just have you share your story. How did you become an energy healer? Okay, so I became an energy healer. I think I naturally had a predilection for it as a kid. Uh, My grandmother was sick one time with shingles, and I remember uh, myself and two of my brothers putting our hands on her to try to help with the pain. Um, After that, I I took a class when I was doing a master's degree in public health from an energy healer. And so uh, I started noticing that while I didn't feel any energy at all, which is interesting, the people that I was practicing on, my friends, were having experiences under my hands. So I was very interested in it. At the same time, I had a chronic illness myself with chronic pelvic pain from an undiagnosed uh, kidney infection that went on for many, many years. And so I started using energy healing to work with my own body. And then when I got into medical school, after I learned energy healing, I started scanning my patients. And I'd run my hands across my patients. And then I'd run down to see what the x-ray was. And I would notice that I would feel an abnormality in an area. And then I would see the area on the uh, medical test. So that was really interesting. I started to really get a good sense of what was happening. By, you were uh, gifted in some sense, right? Well, I think, I think the circumstance gifted me. I think I'm inquisitive. And the circumstance of having learned energy healing and then going in and checking with patients to see what, 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 so I like to tell people, I put conventional medicine into energy healing instead of energy healing on top of conventional. So I think that was, that was, you know, the way that life brought me to this. So, um, yeah. So then from then on, I started, once I worked with myself and I started learning all these things for my own healing, because I was quite sick and you know, you try everything. Um, Exactly. People started coming into my office and I started giving them practices that had worked for me. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, the marriage between uh, non-conventional and conventional was born. And I realized that people were going to get better from multiple traditions, not just this conventional thing I had learned. So it's, it's been really fun. I mean, it's been, it's natural. It's not just me. There are lots and lots of clinicians all over the country saying, wait a minute, my grandmother did this and that worked. Where does that fit into this? So um, I like to say that integrative medicine is now, you know, conventional medicine's reintegrating into the whole of medicine, which is, you know, 5,000 or 10,000 years old. And, and instead of 
you know, that we're coming back into our natural place in this entire field of healing, which has been going on for a long time. Exactly. As I say, the energy of medicine is, is expanding. Our footprint of medicine is expanding from just conventional, right. um, which is more symptom management, how I look at it, and acute care. And it's expanding that footprint to really making wellness a priority and bringing people back into health. Yeah. Um, and not just symptom management. So what do you do at uh, Dr. Andrew Wilde's clinic? Just so our audience has a little better sense of what are the kinds of patients you see? Uh, just a very quick synopsis of what kinds of um, healing have you seen? Right. So at the doctor, at the Andrew Wilde Center for Integrative Medicine, I actually teach. I have an academic practice where I'm teaching um, 160 clinicians a year, integrative medicine. So I'm academic at the university and I see patients in my small private practice. And I've been seeing patients, you know, since I got my medical license and finished my residency in an integrative fashion. So while I don't see patients here, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to drop that stone in and be part of the ripple to spread it out. We've trained 1700 clinicians so far, wow. which is good. Yeah. And we're training more and more. Every we year. need more. No, I think we need at least 10,000 before we start to change healthcare. So we're trying to get as many doctors, nurse practitioners, PAs, nurses in as we can to start training as many people as we can. So people start listening to patients. That's the first piece, right? Um, but I see all sorts of things. I see, um, I've seen, I see patients who have cancer. I see patients who have mild symptoms that are bothering them that they can work with very easily. I see autoimmune disease. I see a lot of chronic pain. Um, I did hospice for eight years, so I saw a lot of people while they were dying too, and I got to watch that amazing mystery that even when someone's dying, these techniques can help all the way to the last breath. So that was really an extraordinary phase that I was in. So I see all sorts of different things. You know, usually integrative medicine collects people who know about integrative medicine, like yourself, or somebody who's at the end of the line. Somebody who's tried everything and cannot have anything else help them. I'll, I'll tell you one patient. You want to hear about one patient? She allows me to tell her story where she had um, itching of her legs, excoriated legs. She had scabs all the way down the sides of her legs and nothing is working. And she came to see me. And, you know, the first thing I would have given her as a primary care doctor, as conventionally trained, would have been steroids because she was suffering. Steroids didn't help. So I started teaching her toe tapping and energy techniques and her symptoms were gone within a, within a month. And she allows me to tell the story. And then within two months, her there was no scarring. Wow. Yeah. So she came and that's how I really got started. That's when I started giving energy practices before medicine or at the same time, depending on what's going on um, and using a lot less medication. So she came back about two and a half years after that same issue. I asked her about, you know, are you still doing the toe tapping? And she said, what? And I was like, oh, right, because once we're fixed, we forget, right? Which is yes. one of the problems. Once we're fixed, we stop. Yes. Yes. So I taught her again. It was gone within a couple of days. So it's really exciting. So I mean, sometimes I see chronic patients who get a little better. And every once in a while, you see these things that are like magical. You're like, how is this possible? And how does everyone not know? And how does everybody not know? And that's the whole purpose of Healthier Podcast. Everybody needs to know. Yeah. And everybody who's out there desperate the way I was at the end of my wits, no one's able to help all by myself. This is where we want to share the information to give hope and to say, try it. And so before we dive into the book, I'm going to, you know, beseech you all 
keep an open mind, listen with an open mind, don't come in with preconceived notions because I see that all the time. I think the biggest disease we have today is a closed mind and our beliefs and our beliefs that only this works and that that's woo-woo or, you know, that that's ancient stuff that doesn't work. There's no science. The, the favorite phrase is there's no science to this. Yeah. You don't need science if you get better. And there's plenty, of, there's plenty of science now. There's which is plenty of science. Yeah. But even if there wasn't, what I say to, to people is, do you want to get better or you want to write a PhD thesis on this? Like, what, what are you trying to attempt, right? If you're just trying to get better, try it. What's the harm? And if you get better, celebrate that and move on. Don't try to sit there and fall into what we're being told constantly in the media, which is, oh, there's no science to this. This is boo-boo. You know, this stuff doesn't work. So with that said, um, for those of you who are listening or watching, I want you to keep a very open mind as we go into this, into this book master class today. Take notes. Um, get ready to do some active uh, meditations and healing techniques as well. This is going to be like a true master class, and it's going to be hands-on. So enjoy. All right, Dr. Marie, let's get started. First chapter, uh, Basics of Energy Healing. That's, that's the chapter where you explain what the heck is energy healing anyway, um, and how is it so miraculous for so many people? So energy healing is this concept that, and it's ancient, every tradition has it, that there's the physical body and there's an energy body, and they are together. They're not separate, right? That there's energy that's flowing through the body. And that all the healing traditions until conventional broke off um, talk about the life force or the chi and that the life force and the chi feed the cellular process of the body. So the idea is that you have a physical symptom, but before the physical symptom, yeah, before the physical symptom, um, you have an energy imbalance. And after time, then the cells start to interact in, you know, uh, in a not so healthy way. And then you get symptoms and then you get disease. So that's the, the underlying idea. However, in a, in a trauma, you get both, let's say there's a trauma to my arm, you get both the cut of the physical body and the energy body at the same time. So working with the energy body and the physical body um, stimulates healing. And it wasn't until the late 1700s that we actually, in medicine, I say we, but medicine, not a we, um, began to divide the body up into organ systems. So in the 17, late 1700s, there was something called the Paris Clinic. And that's when uh, doctors started rounding on patients and saying, this is a cardiac issue. This is a kidney issue. This is a lung issue. Instead of saying, this is you know, involving the lung and the kidneys and what's the whole system. So I think we're starting to see the whole system being uh, looked at again, um, slowly. But all the old traditions, all the ancient traditions that our grandparents knew and go way back had... Um, energy as part of it. And what's interesting is at the same time as the Paris clinics, I want to get political here, but it's coming up right now. That's when they started kicking the lay healers out of the healing population. So they started making it a certifiable thing. And so a lot of the good herbalists and manual medicine people and massage therapists all got knocked out of medicine. So, you know, before you had it, what we would call an integrative model naturally in the 1600s, 1500s, you know, even before you would have all the healers come in and work with somebody. And all of a sudden, medicine took over and said, no, just us. And so we've lost that. Now we're trying to bring it all back together. Yeah. And how does fundamentally energy healing work from a scientific standpoint? Okay, so that's a good question. So um, there are energy 
systems within the body. And when an energy system becomes uh, constricted, the energy flow goes through more slowly. Uh, there's a little bit of research on this. There was a, a gentleman named Sinayunkin who was Russian who took, the, took a plant and cut off a stem. So here's the plant, he cut off a stem. And he noticed that where the stem was cut, there was a little micro dose of, of electron negative energy that went off. And as soon as the stem started growing, positive energy, meaning proton rich, started going. So there's, and there's some other research that shows that we have these meridians or energy channels within the body. Um, they've done some work, not so kind work on rabbits in the 50s, where they showed that their, their um, energy, you know, lines that the traditional Chinese medicine people called meridians underneath the skin. So, and then we have some tools to look at the energy field that's coming off the body. Um, so, that's the big criticism, right? That we don't have accurate ways to, to uh, measure this, but we do, we're starting to have some really accurate ways to measure this. And I think we're gonna see more and more of it coming into the, coming into the forefront. It's almost like energy is so important, we can't see it. You know, it's like air. You know, we're all breathing it all the time, but we can't see it. So um, there's a lot of new research too, as well as, about how the quality of touch makes a big difference. So we know now that when you touch, with uh, compassion or caring or you know love, that that stimulates receptors in the skin that respond to the, the affect or the, the feeling of the touch. So not anxious touch, not what right. I call second year medical student touch. Right. Not creepy touch, not touch, right. touch, not touch where somebody wants something for you. And these are all actually, but you know, yeah. compassionate touch stimulates oxytocin. A mother's touch. A mother's touch. And yeah. That's why they, and they have found this, that babies that are held more yeah. and loved more and massaged more, and there's a very strong Indian tradition, you massage the babies for days, months after they're born, right. because it dramatically changes how fast they grow and how well right. they grow. Right. So that's related to the oxytocin, Rena, which we know oxytocin is stimulated by loving touch or yeah. compassionate touch. And then that has a cascade of amazing things. And you see with people with attachment disorders who aren't held as much, they actually can't make their own endogenous, meaning internal oxytocin. Oh, so wow. the drug companies are coming up with sprays, but I'm like, well, just use loving touch, go get a massage. Um, there's a woman named Tiffany Fields. I don't know if you know her, but she does a lot of research about this at the University of Miami. And uh, it's really compelling to me. Without loving touch, you can't trust. So without trust, you know, how do you move through the world? So I think it's highly involved in placebo response, which is, I would reframe placebo response to spontaneous healing. Right. You know, the body that heals itself. We right. call it placebo response, but right. it's really kind of a miracle. And, um, you know, that's what I like looking at the most. And so I think touch has quite a bit to do with this, um, which is why people who don't get touched, who are older or people with chronic pain, we know that touch really helps. And that's, I would say, um, that's like the cliff notes on energy healing. And then there are all these other things that you can do with energy healing. You can move blocks, you can, um, you know, repair energy flows that aren't working. There are all sorts of things that you can do. Fascinating, fascinating. All right, next chapter, chapter two, connecting into the unified field. What's the unified field and why are we connecting to it? Okay, so the unified field of energy is what's, what exists, okay? I mean, it, it's, it's the energy field that's all around us. And it depends on which tradition you talk to uh, that'll allow you, that describes it. So for example, before we got on the phone, Rena mentioned pulling energy down, right, through the crown. 
that's one way of bringing the unified field of energy through. But there's also this unified field of energy that's coming off the earth. It's the same field. Some of it's being sourced from the cosmos, some of it's being sourced from the earth, but we are living within this unified field. In the Yaki tradition, which is where I live, they talk about the back of the heart being the most important connection into the unified field. But all the chakras, all the energy centers, your entire body has a way of connecting to the unified field. Um, how you connect, how you make those connections better, sorry, I'm such a wiggler, how you make those connections better allows you to be more connected to this unified field. So I'll give you an example. Um, you mentioned, you know, when people meditate, they bring energy in through the crown and focus their meditation. In the shamanic field, which is what I was uh, really in touch with, the energy comes up through the earth into the body. Mm. And it's the same energy field, but it's being filtered a different way into the body. And so I, I will posit to you and do quite frequently that we're over-domesticated that uh, in this common day and age where we're hooked into the computer and we're hooked into these smaller fields and we're not out in nature constantly like we were maybe a thousand years ago, that we've lost some of that connection into the unified field. So for example, I don't know if you've ever had pain and you've gone and laid down on your yard and all of a sudden the pain goes away, right? Grounding. So, yeah, grounding, exactly. Grounding. I did a lot from. of grounding when I was sick. Yes, it's amazing, right? Yeah. I had to do it too. Yeah. So, but that's like ancient wisdom. So the question is, how do you slow down, get out of your head and become aware of this connection? And what I find is that most people, excuse me, <coughs> are a little shut down in the lower half of the body. So we sit with our legs crossed. We wear shoes all the time. And so when I tell people to get connected. Let me uncross. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. It's okay as long as you're not always yeah. crossed. So getting the hips and the legs open to that energy flow is the first way that I get people to reconnect in. And then I work with the lower Dantian and then the heart. And I don't find we need to work with the head. I think the head's already wide open. The question is, how do we get the body back in sync with what's going on? Instead of taking each thought, each feeling, each concern and going, oh my God, right? In the Mexican tradition, they call it susto or asustado, where you know something happens, you pick up the phone and you go, oh my God, what happened? Well, that's not the natural. If you look at a baby or you look historically, people will rock and start to move the energy. Oh my goodness, right? This is how people grieve. This is how little autistic kids are great to watch because it moves the energy and it gets you back connected in. Yeah, it's not our energy. It only becomes our energy when we're working from the head up. You're actually in this flow of energy. And um, the best example is the tsunami. And remember the tsunami that was in uh, Southeast Asia? The animals all moved out of the way 20 minutes before the wave came in because they were connected. And what they found is that animals that are in zoos lose their ability to sense seismic movements and this energy field. And I, I think we're like that. I think we're over-domesticated and we've lost some of those abilities. So when I want people to work with the wisdom of their own body, the first thing I do is get them really to work hard on opening the flow of their lower half of the body. So toe tapping, doing hip, hip exercises, um, anything they can. Going barefoot is a great one. You know, as long as you're going barefoot on the earth, it's hard to do, right? It there's is. Not much, there's not much left unpaved, you know? You, uh, you mentioned toe tapping. What's toe tapping? Can you demonstrate yeah. it for us? Okay, so yeah. toe tapping is my favorite. And toe tapping is where you lay on the floor just like this. Okay. Ah, there Everybody we go. Can do, everybody can do this. 
Okay. Everybody can rotate and then you start tapping the toes together. That's when it gets a little more difficult. Okay. So can you see me now? Yes, we can see. I'm, I'm laying flat. Perfect. Yep. Got it. That's a great view. Okay. So I put on rhythmic music. Okay. I close my eyes. I relax. Okay. The first thing, the, okay. So the first thing that happens is that your toes hurt a little. People say, ow. That goes away in about 30 seconds. The next thing that'll happen is there'll be a little burning in the thighs. That will go away. And it depends on how long. So I get people to do it the first time for at least a full song or two songs. So five to 10 minutes, unless they have chronic pain. If they have chronic pain, then you want them to do it less because chronic pain is blocked energy. So if you have a chronic pain syndrome, I tell you to do it for two minutes a day in the beginning. Because if you add energy into the system with chronic pain, uh, you can get a flare. So I do it for five to 10. And I would say the discomfort and the actual, like your hips unlock usually happens in the first five minutes. So I put on rhythmic drumming music. Um, I actually have it on a CD that I did with Dr. Weil called Energy oh. Healing, uh, Energy Medicine for Self-Healing or Self-Healing for Energy Medicine. Anyway, I'll find out the name. But he and I did one together. But you, So you can do it listening to me, but you can also um, look on YouTube and find people doing it. And so you tap for at least five minutes if you're not having chronic pain, sometimes 10. You relax, you close your eyes, you put on loud music, and you just tap. It's amazing. And what's it doing for us? Okay, so it's, it's doing uh, liver, stomach, and spleen in terms of Chinese medicine acupuncture treatment. It's like an acupressure. And it's also working with the, lymph the lymphatic flow, okay. and it's working with the energy flow of the lower legs, and it's also helping with venous stasis, so the venous re return back to the heart. I think it also helps with afferent efferent nerve fibers. So this is the only thing I know that works for restless leg syndrome. And it works really well if I get people to do it on the bed before they sleep for five minutes. And if they wake up in the middle of the night. Um, and it works incredibly well for anxiety. Because anxiety is usually that, that piece I showed you where we go, <gasps> and then we become, our energy field goes up here too much. So for anxiety, but with anxiety, you have to do it when you're not anxious initially. So you have to do it uh, when you're feeling relaxed at, for about 30 days. And then when you're anxious, your body will reach for it. And that's really, you know, the definition of healing to me, that I'm back in alignment enough that my body knows what to do, right? Because we've overridden it so many times that we don't know what to do. So I tell people with anxiety, give it a month before you can do it when you're really anxious. I don't know if you've ever been really anxious, but when you're really anxious, you're busy being really anxious. But after a while, the body will be like, let's toe tap. And that's the idea of healing for me. So what else does it work for? I use it for grounding. So I use this one all the time. And uh, anybody who's got a chronic illness, if they can do this, I get them to start with two minutes, then move to five, and then end up with 10. And if they can't, I get them to get a handheld massager and okay. then just rub it on the legs. It'll do the okay. same thing. They can rub it all over the feet and the legs and start the flow. Would it work the same with the vibration machines? You know, those new machines where you stand yes. and it kind of vibrates? Yes, those are great. Okay. Are great. And I'm a fan of, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, sort of new age people that are like, no, you have to do it naturally. I don't care how the energy moves. And I think those vibration machines are very interesting. They are. They are. I mean, they, again, had great science behind them. They were being used by astronauts to make right. sure that there wasn't muscle atrophy. So we know they work. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I do it about twice a week. 
it's at my cryo um, clinic and um, it, you come out feeling like you just got washed. You just went through the car wash. Exactly. Uh, and so you there's definitely something happening in there. Yeah, I owned one for many, many, many years. So I bought one of those big fancy ones and I just lent it to a friend of mine. So it's quite lovely. I, uh, I, I quite enjoy that. Before we get to the next chapter, I do have a question for those of my listeners or viewers for whom, you know, this is the first time they're listening to anything around energy healing in the unified field. Why connect into this field? What, what is happening in this field that we need to be connected with it? Good question. So my, I'm going to answer that. Uh, the question is, why did you disconnect from the field? So we've, we're always connected. So when, when you look at children who come into the world, they naturally know what to do. I'll give an example. My oldest daughter, when she was born, had some stomach issues and went like this. Oh, wow. On day four or five. It was a few days after she got home from the hospital. And all of a sudden, her issues went away. Now, that, to me, looks like breath of fire in yoga and some hand mudras that you would learn from a healer, right? but she already knew how to do it. And if you watch a baby, they already know how to do this. The question for me is what disconnected us? So what disconnected you and how do we go back and retrieve that? Because we're all, you never fully disconnected from the field, but the question is if you've got an illness or an injury, that's stopped this natural flow of energy. So what disconnected you and how can we reconnect you instead of that? It's a misnomer if I'm describing it like, I'm, you're going to get connected into something you've never been connected into. That's not true. What I'm saying is life and over-domestication and the way that we're living these days, coming indoors 100 years ago and living the way we live is, is partially disconnecting us from this. And so um, you can tell if you don't have any symptoms in your body and you exercise a lot, you're probably fine. Yeah. However, you know, if you've noticed at the end of a stressful day, you know, what does a baby do? Well, it cries and shakes and moves. What does an animal do? What does, a, what does a dog do after it gets injured? It shakes. What does a cat do? It shakes. It moves the energy out. So um, I start off by talking about the unified field because that's also where all the information is. So once we get centered and connected, and I know you know this, Rita, your intuition gets better. You have a, you have a sense of what's coming. It's back to that um, less domesticated knowledge that moves the animals. And I, I mean domesticated. I don't mean undomesticated that move them out of the way you know it's the, it's the oh my god I knew you were going to call that is yeah, being connected your intuition the, yeah it's all it's all connected yeah yeah absolutely. but if somebody wants to get started and that doesn't make any sense to them it doesn't matter all they have to do is start using the techniques and see what happens that's exactly it what I say is don't overthink it we've emphasized the education piece of it as opposed to the experience piece of it you just have to experience it and see if it makes a difference. If it makes a difference, keep doing it. Right. All right, next chapter, getting started with the energy healing. All right, um, so you've already showed us some toe tapping, but what are the fundamentals of getting started? So if someone's out there, they've got either autoimmune, Hashimoto's, chronic inflammation, aches, pains, anxiety, kind of what's the first step to getting started with energy healing? So the first step is to get a, a gentle full body practice. So that would be, I showed you the toe tapping. There's also something called full body tapping, which you can see it's being taught everywhere now, which is uh, from traditional Chinese medicine, where you literally just find a way, you just start stimulating the energy all over the body. 
you just tap everywhere and it doesn't have to even be that long that's a, a really good way to do it using the breath is another good way to do it um and then from then on just practicing the very basics i'm going out of order on the book because i teach a little differently now but the other thing is just going to the very basics of using different movements out of qigong traditional chinese medicine or just using your own hands so using your own hands on places that need healing so if you have a shoulder pain you can work with the shoulder but you can also work part way down the shoulder or under the shoulder to get the energy flowing Absolutely. through. And it's so simple and it's free and there's no reason not to do it. Yeah, yoga is the best example of energy movement. So for people who are yoga practitioners, they could tell you, oh yeah, my hips were tight and I did the yoga and all of a sudden I felt a rush of energy into my body. You'll see that with the toe tapping, Rena. If I got you on the floor right now, you would notice a rush of energy that comes up through your hips and out your hands. People often will say to me, my hands are vibrating after the toe tapping, how's that possible? Well, it's because you're bringing the energy in and letting the energy go where it needs to go. So my teacher was this amazing, uh, he called himself a metaphysician named Brew Joy. And he used to say that the body will take the energy where it needs it, as long as you can give, them, give the body the energy and give it the opportunity to move the energy through. Let's take a quick second to talk about how are we losing the energy? Oh, good question. So the biggest way that we're losing the energy is because we're not staying connected to it. So crossing our legs, um, pulling the energy up to the head too often. There's also a place in the back of the heart and the back of the sacrum where you can feel yourself drain. So a good example would be, I don't know if you've ever been like, yeah, today I'm going to get up and I'm going to do this. I'm sure when you were sick, you felt this. I'm going to do this, 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 this. And then you get up, you start to do it, and all of a sudden you're like, what just happened, right? So there are ways that we can leak energy through the system and it's usually the back of the sacrum. And so it's a question of, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a lower chi ball in our lower dantian, which would be here in our, in our lower belly. And that needs to be filled every day. So we have this prenatal chi that traditional Chinese medicine talks about where you're born with a yolk sack of energy. You know, watch a kid wake up in the morning. I used to watch my one and a half year old son when he was young, he'd wake up and he'd be like, and he'd just jump up and start running down the hall. And I'd be like, what is that? Right? Like, so by the age of 40 or 45, it's gone. <coughs> Sometimes 50. So but it comes have, back. If you lead a healthy life, it comes back. For me, it came back. You get, because you're innately gathering energy every day. Yeah. And you're doing it through walking. You know, you know, maybe, you know, 100 years ago or 500 years ago, we did it through walking together to get water in the morning from the river. Yeah. Right? So you do it. So there's a lot of ways to do it. That's one of my favorite things to do. If you need a quick pick me up of energy. In the back. Mm -hmm. Here's the lower dantian. So here's the pubic bone. Here's my belly button. Okay. And, and I want you to see my legs. I'm going to, yep. can you see I'm slowly bouncing my legs up and down gently. Yep. And yep. then I just start to tap here. This is the lower dantian, the hara. Okay. And I just tap here very easily. I tell people, I tell people to do this while they're watching television, if they watch the news, although, you know, the news can drain your energy pretty quick, um, or whatever they do, listening to music, talking to friends, you can do this in circles, and they just, you just tap, and watch me, I'm gonna, I tap pretty hard, and I don't tap here, and I don't tap here, I'm tapping, here's the belly button, here's, I'm tapping right here, right over the bladder, okay. for men, it's usually right where the bell buckle is, Okay. so you just tap here, really gently, within two minutes, I'll be almost sweating hot. And what is it doing again from a scientific standpoint? Are you releasing energy? Are you gathering no, energy? I'm pulling energy up through the legs, right? Okay. 
see from the bouncing and I'm, and I'm putting it here ah. in the lower Dantian. So I'm stimulating the energy that's being stored in the lower Dantian. Got it. Okay. So if I was going to look at it just from conventional medicine, I'm moving, yeah. right? I'm doing the, I'm using the legs for venous and lymphatic flow and also I'm helping with the bloodstream and the, and the nerves. And then I'm tapping here. But from an energy perspective, I'm filling the lower Dantian and I'm grounding the energy down in my body. So this is the quickest two-minute pick-me-up I know. Wow. I teach people all the time. So I, I'm starting to get warm. And I'll start. And now this one you can't do before sleep. You can do the toe tapping before sleep okay. for restless leg, but you can't do this before sleep. It's too stimulating. So this is, so now I've got, so this is the beginning. And people feel this and they go, oh my goodness, I feel differently. And you know, I like to say that energy healing is an experiential thing. You have to experience it, Rena, before you start to get into it. So that's a really simple one. From there, you can tap all over the body. But if somebody wants a quick pick-me-up or if you're completely exhausted from going to see a doctor and you want a little let you know, sometimes sleep is the most healing thing we can do. But if it's not going to be sleep, then you, you just, you're stimulating the energy and pulling it into the lower half. If you get bad news, right? If you get bad news, that's the biggest drain I know. You go, <gasps> we hold our breaths. So we stop all the energy. We go, <gasps> oh my God. You have to go down and then do some lower belly tapping just to get yourself back into the flow. Does that make sense? Absolutely. For students especially that are stressed all the time, this is, I think this would be a wonderful thing to do first thing in the morning before they go to class. Yeah. And it's a really good thing to do right around after lunch, you know, so uh, all right, after lunch, you have to digest for a while. So, you know, the, the wisdom in energy healing is that you take a walk after you eat to keep the energy flowing. And then if you're really tired after doing some tapping, uh, it's hard to do on a full stomach, but you can do some tapping or before a test. Wonderful. My kids had a dance teacher who was, you know, extraordinarily fit. She taught dancing for a living. I taught her this. She goes, I do this before every class. I get my, I get my game back on. Wow. Very yeah. nice. Very nice. So in terms of energy vampires, um, bad news is one. Um, watching the news is the second. Uh, very quickly, what are some of the other most common energy vampires that we can all be aware of so we can put a stop to them? So energy vampires, I, I'm, I'm a little different than everyone else on this probably, but energy vampires to me are from where you're holding the energy or which state of consciousness that you're using. So if I go to the head and go, oh my God, I mean, you can even see a different, you can see a difference in the way I talk. You'll hear a difference in the pitch of my voice. Oh my God, what happened? Versus, oh, that's what happened. So the energy vampire to me is anything that pulls me from being aware of the flow of energy in my hips and my belly. In just into the head. Okay, so, so let me show you the other best thing for energy vampire that I know. It's right here. This is called the back of the heart chakra. Okay. Okay. So right here, if you can see, yeah, up. You can see the back of her heart is right here. Okay. Right here. Right here. This is called the assemblage point. And all I need to do is tap on her assemblage point for about a minute or two, and all of a sudden the energy vampire, which is what you you're talking about. This will recenter her and ground her. So in the Yaki tradition, this is where the energy field, the unified field, comes in and becomes Lorna, this woman I'm tapping on's reality. So the energy field around comes into her here. And when we get bad news or we get tired or we get some sort of a shock, it either moves up or down. So they say in the Yaki tradition that we have to tap here every day for two or three minutes. And I, I really find it quite moving that we can't do this to ourselves. 
you know, you can get these Japanese bonger balls or you can use a wooden spoon, which is what I do in my house if I'm in the house alone, but you just tap here. And then when it gets tiring, you switch hands. So I just switch hands. Ah, gotcha. And you tap here and think about it. We tap here when babies cry. We want, I mean, we already know this spot. We want to give ourselves a pat on the back. Um, we all, and in, in traditional Chinese medicine, this are the, right here are the spirituality of bladder points. Okay. Uh, and in Ayurvedic, this is the back of the heart. So things we did not process appropriately get stuck in the back of the heart chakra. In traditional, I mean, in, in Hawaii, the, you know, what we don't process, the back and the future are very similar in terms of their languaging. And in depth analytic work, anything that we don't handle becomes the future. So this is the number one spot. If, if I only wanted people to learn one thing today, it would be back tapping. All right. I, okay, right here. You and what a great right. thing to have your partner do to you first thing in the morning, right? Thanks. Give Lorna. each other a loving hug and do some back tapping. Thank you, Lorna. Thank okay. you, Laura. All right, so that's the other thing. So if you find you just saw a terrible news program and you're completely wrecked or you've gotten bad news, I mean, obviously you have to process it. But one thing to do is to get somebody to tap you on the back really quickly. Okay. Okay. Next chapter is heart-centered meditation, which the HeartMath Institute, again, has been putting together some wonderful research behind it for those of you who are curious um there's equipment there's measurements this is not boo boo uh, there's an entire organization that supports the whole heart math and it's called the heart math institute but you do a beautiful heart-centered meditation so talk about the importance of the heart over the mind and then would love a little demo from you right okay good excellent so i started doing heart-centered meditation 1997 but i have to tell you i started doing transcendental meditation in 1973 so that's a long time before i discovered the heart center and this is the meditation i find the most healing and um there's a woman named karen armstrong that wrote a book i think it's 10 steps to a compassionate life anyway it's a it's a wonderful book she describes that if you track the heart or compassion is how it's being talked about now but it, it's more than just compassion if you track it through the the progression of time, anytime we're in times of great change, the priests or whoever, the meditators, whatever, of that, of that uh, time will bring the heart into their spiritual meditation practice. So she said you can track the heart center over the last 4,000 years, whenever there are times of great change, it shows up. When I started doing the heart center meditation in 1997, nobody talked about heart meditation. And, but now there's compassionate mindfulness, there's something called wet insight, there's the meta meditation. Every tradition is focusing on the heart. So we're in one of those periods where we're going from Vipassana, which is just clearing your thoughts into the heart. There's some good research on it. Uh, besides what HeartMath has done, compassion-based meditations or heart-based meditations have been shown to um, help with telomere length, which basically mm -hmm. is a sign of, of cellular aging. So it can reverse certain processes of cellular aging. And, um, the reason I like this meditation the most is that it's the one that my patients and my students and my clients can do with the most ease. So, and it's infinite. The heart center is an infinite process. So while I started off with, you know, transcendental meditation, and then I moved into Zen meditation of Vipassana, you know, over 25 years, I do chakra meditations. This is the one that is my go-to. This is the one that is so moving to me. And it's 
very healing and the energy of the heart. So each chakra is a different state of consciousness. Now that's a lot to say to somebody who doesn't know about energy healing. But what I'm basically saying is different parts of the body have different vibrations. Yeah, but and, and if you don't know anything about energy, different parts of the body, when I'm thinking hard, there's one energy. When I'm feeling, there's another energy. When I'm listening to drumming and dancing, that's a different energy. Turns out that the heart energy is extremely healing. It might be the most healing uh, in the entire body. So I give this to people when they're sick, before chemo. I have them put it into the chemo bag. You know, if you ask uh, one of the chemo nurses if you can hold the bag, they'll just put gloves on you and you can send some gratitude or compassion into the chemo. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the healing you're about to do. Thank you, right? Um, <coughs> it appears to make the side effects of the chemo less. So I really spent a lot of time teaching this meditation because this is the sort of core meditation for healing for me. Um, compassionate mindfulness. There's tons of compassion-based ones. So I can, you want me to show it to you right now? Yes, please. Okay. So it takes two points of focus to move energy, attention and awareness. And I would tell you that attention comes from me and awareness comes from the energy field. But that's sort of an esoteric differentiation, right? So it takes two points of focus to move energy. So that means that when we're meditating, you're often, you have your eyes closed, you're using breath and a mantra, perhaps. Those are your two points of focus. If you're using, let's say, guided imagery, you're using imagery in your breath. I would say just add in your hands. Anytime you want to move energy, add your hands in, because that'll add a second or third point of focus. If we could think energy where we wanted it to go, we wouldn't have what's going on right now. So you have to use more than just thought. You have to use thought and breath. You have to use thought visualization and breath. You have to use thought mantra. So this one has a hand position and the hand position is right here. So this is my solar plexus. Let me stand up, talk to you for a minute from here. This is my solar plexus, okay? And this is my high heart. Those are not the heart centers. Those are, this is a wonderful hand position just to get calm. The heart center is right between, right, they're right at nipple line. It goes right here. So one hand goes here, okay? And the other hand goes here and the thumbs to touch. And in the beginning, that was difficult for me. I felt like I was, you got it, Rena. In the beginning, I thought this was difficult, that I felt like I was efforting, okay? But it's actually, you're just basically holding yourself a little. And if it's hard, you can prop your arms up somewhere and just hold the energy. So that begins the flow of energy into the heart center, which is a different state of consciousness. And once you get good at this, you'll notice that you completely start to shift just from your hands here. This may be enough. This may be the announcement to the body that it's, it's going to shift states of consciousness now. So from here, the heart center meditation has four mantras or attributes. So what I do is I call in each attribute and I initiate the heart center. And then with each breath, I, I internally repeat an attribute. That's how I meditate. Everyone can be a little different. So I'll show you how it goes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start the meditation. I'm going to call in the four attributes. We're going to have a minute or two to do it together and then we'll come back out. Okay. So we're going to Wonderful. Let's do it. All right. So I want you to begin by closing your eyes and practicing the art of sacred touch. Activating the heart center in your body by touching yourself at the level of the heart as if you were touching the most amazing thing you ever had the opportunity to touch. So touching yourself at the heart chakra as if you were touching a newborn or your beloved or an ancient relic. 
touching yourself with compassionate touch as if you were touching the most incredible thing you ever had the opportunity to touch. The art of sacred touch. From here, the meditation has four attributes. The first is compassion. With your breath, using image and feeling, invite in compassion. Invite in compassion and allow it to unfold. The second attribute is innate healing. It's the calm in the midst of chaos or the eye of the hurricane. With your breath, inviting innate healing. It's funny, I'm nervous. It's innate harmony. The third attribute, healing presence. Healing presence. Healing presence is love in action. Using your breath, inviting healing presence. And the fourth attribute is unconditional love. And if you have a religious tradition, invite in divine love. Unconditional love. Compassion. innate harmony, healing presence, unconditional love. And to start, just pick one or two, repeating one with each breath, letting the energy build in your chest. and seeing how much energy can you create at the level of the heart. And then come back out. Go ahead and come back out. And Rena, just from that little bit, look at your hands. Wow. Now your hands have the flow of the heart center and you want to place them anywhere on your body that needs healing. Oh, this is so beautiful. I have so much gratitude to you, Anne-Marie, for doing this. Um, it's just, I think this is life-changing for anyone who takes it seriously. So if you're listening, if you're watching, do this. Start your day with this. And then come to HealCircles.org and share with us how your day changed because you began your day with this beautiful heart-centered meditation. Next um, chapter is all about sensing the energy and moving it where, it where it belongs. Now, I know I've done this with several friends and people who've come to my events, and not everybody feels energy, Anne-Marie. You know, you and I are sitting here um, in our little happy energy mm -hmm. vortex, but for those who say, I don't feel it, what quick tips can you give them? Yeah. Okay. So that's great. I didn't feel anything for a year and a half, which is irony. You know, that's what the universe does. You, you're not so good at it. We're going to make you do it for a living. So um, <laughs> yeah, then you master it, right? Over time. 
So I have a few stories of people who've come to me who say, I can't feel anything at all. And one of them was a hunter. And I worked with him. I've had my hands up and his hands up and we worked and we worked and we worked and he couldn't feel it. And I finally said to him, how do you tell when you're hunting when there's, he lives in Alaska, when there's a bear in the woods? And he'd say, well, that's easy. I feel it with my whole body. So the first thing I'll tell somebody who doesn't sense energy, that you do sense it. The question is, how do you sense it? I have one gentleman who came to me who was a code talker in the war who could hear the field. He could scan a body by listening with his ear. Wow. Uh-huh. So I don't get too hung up in whether or not we can feel it. I, uh, because I think that the, the aperture of your awareness is too small at that point. I would like to open the aperture of your awareness and say, tell me how you feel it. Do you sense it? Do you feel it? Do you smell it? Do you get a sense? Do you see it? And if nothing is of the above, just do it anyway. Um, you know, there's a great principle in the teaching that once you're moving the speed of the wind, you no longer feel the wind, right? So yeah, I yeah. went from not feeling it to feeling it like crazy. And now I just feel blocks and I know where it is. It changes over time. So if we get hung up in the, I can't feel anything, that's one part of the brain that um, probably can't feel energy, but another part of the brain can sense energy. And we know it's brain dependent. It's, it's part of the brain. It's part of this over-domestication process. I first could see energy when I was nursing my children. Wow. So I would nurse the baby, which creates oxytocin. I could see auras for about 30 minutes, and then it would go away. Then I'd pick up the baby, nurse the baby again. I could see auras for 30 minutes, then it would go away again. Wow. That's very moving to me. So the idea that we're not feeling energy is probably just because the part of the brain that feels energy is not the active part in this moment that you're in touch with. You know, there's another part, probably the frontal lobe. That's, and, you know, there's some good research in neurotheology about this, about how with different practices, we know that the frontal lobe quiets, the parietal lobe quiets, and then people can sense and hear other things. So I would tell people that can't feel energy, don't worry about it. It's okay. With time, you will definitely feel it. It just takes time. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, so in terms of sensing and moving energy, where are we moving this energy and how do you move energy? The best way to notice energy moving is to get an acupuncture, uh, acupuncture treatment and okay. notice what you feel. Close your eyes and feel. You'll notice other parts of your body are getting activated. Get a massage. Um, I like to tell people if they feel like they can't feel energy, get into an elevator with somebody who's angry. You can oh, yeah. <laughs> definitely feel the energy coming off that body it's not hard right so but what we're trying to do is we're trying to get a flow all the way through the body so moving energy would be anything that gets the energy moving through the body like we just moved it into the heart and so there are different breath and movement and touch practices for that and i can show you a few of them if you want and specifically i would say you know because most of our viewers and listeners tend to be people with some form of a chronic ailment so whether that's pain or um, maybe even insomnia issues, which is rampant, or your standard thyroid, Hashimoto's, um, even weight gain, a um, lot of women dealing with uh, menopausal issues. Um, where should they be moving their energy? Is, is it that for a specific disease pathology, you need to move energy to a specific organ or body type? Or the goal is the same, which is you just need to get the energy moving. Okay, so that's a great question. The first thing is you need to get the energy moving. So you need to do that, that thing where I showed you when you tap low. And then you need to get the right quality of touch. So you want to do, you know, energy healing on yourself if you can. Just the meditation and then touching your face or having a partner 
touch your face or a masseuse. Then when you get into specific illnesses, there are ways you can definitely move energy. So for example, cardiac. Now, I want to make a caveat here. Western diagnosis and energy diagnosis are not completely correlated. They're two different trains of thought, okay? So, but we do know certain things make a difference. So for Hashimoto's and autoimmune disorders, the center is here and the back of the heart. And I showed you the back of the heart when Lorna mm -hmm. came in and let me, so you want to tap here and you want to move energy here. You want to work and you want to keep the lower dantian release flow. For, for sleep issues, which you had mentioned, you want to do the toe tapping and you want to get the lower half of the body activated. The more active the lower half of the body is, the more the mind quiets. So we want to move the energy down for sleep, right? right? Instead of like, oh my God, what happened? Then your mind goes racing. So you do a little toe tapping. In Ayurveda, you probably know that you just have to sit in a tub of water, but only from the waist down. Yes. You want to keep the lower, you, in traditional Chinese medicine, they say you have to be wearing socks. You want to keep the energy flow active in the lower half of the body. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there are specific things that we can do. So I'll talk about uh, GI issues, gut issues. Yes, please. Okay. So pain is blocked energy. So when somebody has a block in the energy, let's say I had a headache, I would not want to put energy in the head. You don't want to add pain where it is. So if somebody has a problem with a headache, you'll see an energy healer will, will sweep the energy away from the head and work on the lower half of the body. But with gut issues, you can put your hands on your belly. The one time that you can actually add energy right into the place that's having the pain. Otherwise, you want to move the energy through. Let's say I had an elbow that was painful. I would probably want to work on the shoulder and the wrist to get the energy flowing through the elbow better. It's like a, um, it's like a pipe. I have a picture of this. It's like a pipe when there's pain. And the energy flow, let me see if I can find my photo on this. The energy flow is messed up. So you don't want to just dump more energy into a system where there's some constriction. You want to work a joint up and a joint below and see if you can start moving it through. This is why yoga is so powerful. I can't find the picture. This is why yoga is so powerful because yoga moves it through all the different joints in the whole body. So with GI, one thing that I get people to do is to just really think about compassion or reverence or awe that they have a belly at all and get their hands, you know, good and with that good loving energy. You can, you can also chant into your hands to, to, to activate them. Then they can put their hands right on their belly. It makes a big difference. So if you've got, if you've got pain, and there are a lot of people with Crohn's and colitis and irritable bowel syndrome, then I have them just put their hands right on their belly. Really helpful. With autoimmunity, I, I told you I, I'm a big fan of the back tapping and the, the, um, the, you know, what we call the high heart tapping. It's a different place. So with the heart center, I had us working here, right? Rena, down here? Exactly. That's different than here. Mm -hmm. the high heart is a personal seat of affection and it happens to be involved in autoimmune issues. So if somebody's having an allergy attack or an asthma attack, while you're getting them the help they need, so you call an ambulance, you can start tapping or putting your hands here at the same time and you can start to see it moving through. What was the other issue you asked me about? You want to talk pain. Let's talk about pain. Okay. Chronic pain's tough. Chronic pain is tough because after three to six months of having pain, your brain changes. And so people who have chronic pain actually experience pain more than people who don't have chronic pain. Your inhibitory neurons go quiet. The receptors on the nerve cells get, you get more of them. They hyper, they, um, they sort of auto-populate more nerves. And 
<coughs> all the things that we have that stop the pain signals from being overwhelming tend to go away. So if I had two people, one with no pain or, or a little bit of pain and one with chronic pain and I poked him with a pin, the person with the chronic pain would actually feel more pain. Mm. And um, medicine says, oh, you're just too sensitive. No, 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 no. Your brain has changed. And we see these central brain changes and then we see peripheral changes. So the first thing you have to do with chronic pain is you have to get a mind-body practice that'll help activate the part of your brain that has gone quiet. So that would be guided imagery is my favorite. That's called the, you know, the woman who teaches guided imagery that I work with calls it the lazy person's meditation. So getting guided imagery using hypnosis. And I mean using hypnosis that somebody's recorded. You don't have to go to a hypnotist. All hypnosis is self-hypnosis. So you want to do using the heart center meditation would be my number one. But let me give you a whole range of things instead of just making it about what I use. Um, so you want to do something, kirtan chanting, something that activates these parts of the brain that have gone quieter during the pain. And so then these other parts of the brain activate the anterior cingulate gyrus and some other places. And then while you may still have the same amount of nerves firing off, you don't feel it as much. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we know that energy healing or hands-on healing has evidence for pain, has good evidence. It has evidence, level, has evidence level one, which is some of the best evidence we have. It's better than most of the medicines. So getting somebody to do a healing on you or doing what I said, just holding your own body. But people with chronic pain do best doing their own energy movements, very slow to begin with, and going and getting on somebody's table. And there's lots of ways to get energy healing that's not too expensive. Most healers have sliding scales, there are Reiki circles, um, and going about every week or two weeks, whatever you can afford, and getting on somebody's table and letting them do an energy healing treatment on you. Really powerful. And we know that it's dose response. So we know that the more healings you get, the better you feel. Now, if you get a flare the next day of pain, you need to either go back, you need to go back and talk to that healer. They've done too much healing that day. But that was amazing to me. I would get an energy session, and then I would have a flare of pain with nothing else. I was like, wow, something's really working here. You know, so for me, I would get energy healing, then I would get a flare. And after nine months, the whole thing went away, which was great. So they can do their own energy healing, which is what we've talked about. You want to use good quality touch on your belly. You know, I had it down low because um, I had bladder pain. I had a kidney infection. And so I would hold my hands down here, and then I would slow my breathing, really think about compassionate or loving or kind energy into my body as I can doing that for 10 or 15 minutes a day and then finding somebody else who can do it for you if you can afford it is really helpful and if not find the local Reiki circle because there's a Reiki circle I think in every town in this every city in this country once a month and they'll do it for free there's also a form of healing called Joe Ray where they only take um, donations which is lovely and they work off the body but people have really profound healings so for chronic pain, I would say chronic pain can't be treated without some sort of mind-body technique to get your brain back to the way it was before the chronic pain was there. Get those brain centers that, that get quiescent or quiet, re-stimulated, and then get energy healing. And then there's some dietary supplements. You know, people need to make sure that they have enough magnesium in their body. But uh, we can talk about that in a different kind of podcast. So um, chronic pain is huge. And the other problem is that... Um, People think that they're going to have it for the rest of their lives. And I think, Rena, you and I both know that that doesn't have to be the case. You may have some pain, but the appearance of the pain goes away as long as you start doing this kind of work. Um, 
I love yoga if people can do it. And I love, I talked about it already, the handheld um, massagers that vibrate all over the body. If you, if you can't do yoga, just run this thing all over your body and let the vibration move the energy. Let the vibration break up these energy blocks. Um, is that helpful to? Oh, that's start? amazing. That's amazing. And I love what you said, that never think that you're stuck with this pain forever or you're stuck with this disease forever. Never let the pain or the disease define you because right. Right. you and I are living proof. And, you know, oh, yeah. there's doctor after doctor that I've interviewed that have reversed their issues. Yeah. And they are 100% healthy. So whether you have food allergies or you have chronic pain, there is an answer out there that's waiting for you. You just have to get out there and find it and commit to it. I, th I think, Anne-Marie, the biggest issue is people just don't follow through. I think it's something like you wake up, you do it a couple of times, and then life gets in the way or it didn't work. So now there's no commitment to keep doing it. I think the hardest part for, for us is to say, I'm going to keep doing it. And I, I love what you said earlier, like do it for 30 days. Let me show you a diagram. That diagram? Because I always try to draw that out. So can you see that diagram right there? You see that? That's what getting better is like. It's a jagged thing. It goes like this. I can't tell which direction this is going to be, but it goes. And it's when we go back down, we think, oh, forget it. It didn't work. But in fact, you have to look at the healing over the nine months and we all get hung up when it drops back down, like, oh, that didn't work. It worked for a week. Well, guess what? It, you probably aren't as bad as you were at baseline, but it feels like you are as bad at baseline because any chronic illness has an emotional component that is, I would say, overwhelming. It reminds me of uh, Pavlov's dogs. I know, because I had a chronic illness, and, and um, I wouldn't look people in the eye. It got to the point where I was so not believed by the system, I wouldn't even look people in the eye when I was giving my history. So now when somebody comes in and they won't look me in the eye, I'm like, oh, you haven't been heard. So there's this whole psychological component of being beaten down. And so people don't stay with it, I think, because, you know, there hasn't been, there hasn't been um, enough trust built within their own body and within the system. So, you know, the question is, why don't you stay with it? Well, I got worse again. That's true. You'll have flares. But every flare doesn't mean it's that bad. So when I take somebody who's had a problem, and I say, look back nine months. Don't look back to yesterday. Look back nine months. And they're like, oh, I'm better. Yeah, you're a little better. Now keep going. So we have this idea that the last thing that we did that made us better or worse is what works. But that's not true. It's the last thing that we did. It's what we did over the last nine months. And healing takes time. And I think people need to be coached. It takes time. And never look back at yesterday. I mean, look back at yesterday. But that's not the answer. What's the answer is what's carried you through the last six to nine months. So true. This is why I created uh, my health journal. Yeah. Because one of the things I realized was that this brain is so confused and memory is so deceiving and so deceptive that you really can't trust it. Right. And so I realized the yeah. only true way was if I jotted down everything in terms of pain, how do I feel my emotions, and then looked back at what I had written um, and isn't that wild when you are like I can't trust my thoughts you cannot trust your oh. thoughts your thoughts will mislead you every single time so by the way we give it away for free so for anyone again listening or watching please go to healcircle.org and get the health journal for free random thoughts that are coming in are not to be trusted all the time that was fascinating to me I was like oh wait a minute let me do some more investigation um, 
now my mind is quite clear. I don't have a lot of thoughts. I don't, I'm not like anymore, you know, just too much meditation, I guess. And so it's easier, but when you're sick, it's so stressful. And I don't, I, I say that my chronic, my chronic illness patients have two things. They have their chronic illness and then they have the post-traumatic stress disorder from the chronic illness and that we have to work with both. And the brain is showing us that the yeah. brain scans, the spec scans, the blood flow scans are showing us that when you have a chronic um, illness, you ha you have to have some sort of mind body practice to help the brain continue to function the way it functioned from before. And so Emily, we've been chatting so much about such wonderful techniques, etc. Your next chapter talks about balance, alignment and body wisdom. Talk a little bit about that. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I like to say that there are uh, 7 billion healing techniques out there. You know, each of us has our own within us. And I want to remind everyone that every healing technique that is taught has been discovered or uncovered by somebody who spent time with their own body. So I think it's really important not only to learn everything you can from everybody else, too, but get into a state where you can really spend some time listening to your own body. One of the ways that I think is really powerful to do this is just spontaneous movement. So um, I have multiple stories about people who just sit down and begin to move their body. And all of a sudden, you have to do it alone. It's too vulnerable to do in front of other people. But they'll find like, you know, they'll start doing this. And then all of a sudden, their jaw and their shoulder release. I, I have so many stories, but we don't have time today. So that's one thing. I really like it when people listen to what their body has to say, and then they try that for a while. And who knows, maybe it'll end up being, quote, another healing technique. But I will tell you that every healing technique that I've stumbled into through my own body, I have found through reading the older texts, two, three thousand, four thousand years old. It's all there because the body is telling us what to do. I, I do like doing a chakra meditation, which is not hard to find online. And I also teach one to allow yourself to understand that the lower part of the body has one language. The third chakra has another language. The heart has another, the throat has another, the head has another, and really letting all the different parts of the body weigh in on a decision. So that's really what that kind of work is about. The body's quite wise. Um, if you can quiet the mind enough to listen to what it has to say. Next chapter, receptivity. Talk about that. I think a lot of us have issues with receptivity, just as we have issues with self-trust. So receptivity is, is really, um, it's really about allowing the lower half of your body to be as present with you as your head. So it goes back to that first idea that we talked about, about getting the hips and the legs really activated. The other thing that it works when you're receptive you start looking at the world about instead of saying here's what i want to happen you start saying what's happening at the level of energy and when you start really looking about what's happening at the level of energy you start to have a different experience so for example when you look at two people walking up to each other you often if you if you pitch your awareness right and we all know how to do this we just have to open the aperture of our awareness to do it if you pitch the energy you can tell what's happening between those two people energetically so um, when I talk about receptivity, I, I really love to have people work with how's the lower Dantian or the lower, the place in the lower belly feel about or experiencing this moment. How's the heart experiencing it? How's the head experiencing it? Those are three different experiences all housed within our body. So for example, um, if you think about an issue that's difficult, if I put you in a trance state or I've had you lay on the ground and you brought up an issue that was difficult in your life, you might find that the lower Dantian actually was vibrating more, that it, it, it's, it's enlivened by the difficulty. 
and the heart is upset and the head is like, no, 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 or vice versa. Sometimes you'll find something that you really want and you want to manifest it, right? This whole manifestation craze. Yes. You're like, I want a blue candle in the next 10 minutes, but the lower down one's like totally quiet. That's not happening. So there's a way in which being receptive to all the different energy centers in the body. And, and again, this is one where you, you can only do it through practicing to get a sense of what I'm saying. But the last one part in receptivity is forgiveness. Mm. Allowing oneself to practice something like a meta meditation or a forgiveness meditation every day. Because our biggest drain, which we didn't talk about earlier, Rena, is unresolved anger and conflict. Yes. And we, we tuck it in the back of the heart, which is why I was showing you the back tapping. But if you can do a forgiveness meditation, and it doesn't mean you have to go be around that person that you're forgiving. It just means that you have to forgive them. That's all you have to do is forgive them. And now, also forgiving them is forgiving you. That's it's, always, it's always forgiving yourself. That's right. It's always forgiving yourself for whatever happened and however it happened. You're forgiving yourself for sometimes we feel guilty about being upset. All the whole thing. So that's that helps. These are all blocks to receptivity. Once you're in receptivity and you just sit, and I think you know this deeply, and you just sit, then all of this other aspect of being alive and healing and health and balance show up. Intuition gets better. Yeah. Uh, food tastes differently. Oh, yeah. Difficult news is different. Yeah. You watch things from a position of, wow, that's what's happening, not, oh, no, that's terrible. So the idea of, is moving away from judgment into discernment and looking at the world from the level of energy, not just from the level of, I want, I want the world to go my way. All right. The last chapter, energy techniques for specific symptoms and diagnosis. And where you've been so generous in sharing so many different wonderful techniques um, for our viewers, our listeners. Um, share something that you haven't. What about cancer and heart disease? Cancer is complicated because there's so many different kinds of cancer, right? And we, we, you know, when you're not in medicine, you tend to think of it as all one thing. And when you're in conventional medicine, you realize it's this entire host of uh, disease processes. But the big thing in cancer is that cells become less mature. So the way a cell becomes cancerous is that it de-differentiates, becomes less mature, and then it grows too quickly. And that's what cancer is. So there are different kinds of cancer. The thing I think that's most important with cancer is that usually there's been an energy block um, that's been significant for a few years. Uh, it, I don't actually believe that chakras close, but I do think that there's been an energy thing that's happened for a few years. So I'll often ask my cancer patients, tell me what happened one and a half to two and a half years ago. And they'll say, oh, easy. Same thing with diabetes. You ask somebody who's developed diabetes, especially somebody who's developed juvenile onset diabetes, Tell me what happened a year and a half to two and a half years before that. They'll be like, very simple. This happened or this happened. And so there's a way that we shut our body down to protect ourselves. Remember, there's nothing wrong going on here. The question is, what, how did that serve and how do we now work with it, right? So when people have a cancer diagnosis, I want them to open everything. So I want them to do a chakra meditation every day. I want them to learn how to do a form of qigong every day in small bites. But, you know, cancer is the one where you really get the idea, okay, I have to redo all of this. And you have to work with the chemo and the treatment as well. So I'm not someone who says don't get chemo or treatment. I'm a big fan of what conventional medicine has done in this situation. And I get a lot of patients that are like, 
you know, heal me without the chemo. And I'm, I'm like, don't throw out the baby without the bathwater. You know, convert the chemo into something loving. Know that the radiation treatment is a form of very intense, high energy work. So open to the treatment. And the biggest thing people do with cancer diagnoses is that they think that the chemo is poison and that the radiation is terrible for them. Well, if you think about placebo effect, you're already undercutting the treatment. So the idea is, you know, the chemo is the biggest shaman you're ever going to meet. This is the most powerful shaman you're going to meet. So open to it. Open to it as much, much as you possibly can. And then do cleaning techniques afterwards. So I teach people how to do breathing techniques for after the chemo. So once the chemo is done, you want to use movement, breathing techniques, and touch to try to work through clearing the chemo out of your body once it's finished. So maybe three days after the chemo is over. You know, once the chemo is finished, it's processed because it's not just why you're getting the infusion. It's usually a few days after the infusion. And open to it as much as possible. Connect the idea that you're sick because the chemo is working. And we know that the more you open to how much the chemo is working, sometimes the side effects don't appear as bad. Um, I have a, a gentleman in Tucson that I taught to really open to the chemo and, to, and send loving energy into the bag before and to treat the chemo as a ritual. So he would get up every day. He would go for his healing, knowing he was going to see the big shaman, right? Like, you know, like it's like flying to Brazil to see the best shaman you can. He would go in and then the nurses said to him, you're the only patient we've seen who's excited about getting the chemo. He said, I am. Mm -hmm. I want the to go away. And he had, you know, I mean, maybe this is just one story, but he had a miraculous healing with a, a cancer that was very hard to heal, and he had it. Now, there's some grace involved. So I don't like to say, oh, you didn't do it right if you didn't have the healing. You get to do more things. And remember, we heal until death. But with cancer, I, I think... Uh, doing the chakra meditation every day. And there's a really good one that I have, but there's also one called the Ananda Mandala that I quite like that you can download on, on online. Ananda Mandala is powerful. And then getting as much touch and as much healing as you can and then really working with the chemo. And then if you get surgery, you know, very gently after the surgery is over, working to get the energy flowing through wherever that surgery was. So if it was a in your colon, sending energy into the colon. If it was uh, in a lung, working with the lung and sending as much, once the surgery's healing, you can start sending energy in there. Right as soon as the surgery's done, the first few days, energy healing is not that effective. We know that. You just let the body, you know, energy healing on another part of the body works, but energy healing right on the side of the wound doesn't seem to be as helpful as we initially thought. So you want to let the body do its healing. The other thing is making sure that you're using loads of antioxidants after the surgery, not before the surgery, but after the surgery, making sure you're eating foods of every color, uh, tons of fruits and vegetables. I can't stress how much diet makes a difference in this. You talk about the fact that we're all in sympathetic overdrive yeah. and you talk about the autonomic nervous system and how important it is for us to kind of recalibrate that and come back into a, a place of balance and calm. And you have the shaking technique. So before we wrap up, could you demonstrate the shaking technique, please? Yeah, that is my favorite technique. Well, I, I, I tend to say they're all my favorite, but this one's really good. So we are in sympathetic overdrive. It's that piece that I talked about where you get startled and you get bad news and you go, <gasps> and then you don't drop back down. So we definitely are finding that the nervous system has a huge amount to do with healing. And so I'm going to do this like this. So part of the problem is the headphones. So here we go. I have to pretend I'm a rag doll, okay? So I'm a rag doll being held by a sky cord. 
okay? So I'm a ragdoll, and it, it's not from here, it's from back here, it's from the crown, so right here. So I'm a ragdoll, okay, and I'm being held from the sky, and I keep my head forward. Now, I don't bounce my head. That's, that's what the medical students do. That's what the, and by the way, this is what they're doing in the raves. I'm convinced. So this is trance dancing, sun dancing, Sufi dancing, Yoruba trance dancing, and I think this is why the kids are raving. So I just begin gently shaking up and down, And I'll do it like this. Now you'll see me do it. So I just, and I, I, I keep my neck stable. You're not jumping off the ground though, right? Your feet yeah. are still planted. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you up. Can you hear me? I'm gonna take you off screen. Yeah. Okay, so no, I'm not jumping off the ground. I'm doing, oh, this isn't working right now, I'm so sorry. I'm nope. doing, yeah, I'm not jumping. I'm, I'm actually shaking gently. You could, you, with my older patients, I'll just get them to do little teeny movements. But with my young ones, you see how my head is stable? Yeah. Yeah. So drumming music, five minutes. It's amazing. I call it, I call this the happy dance. I love it. I cannot tell you how groups of people go into peals of laughter. So for me, and what I do is I'm asking it to clear. So the first thing I'm doing is I'm not telling my body what to do. I'm harvesting imagery. So I start, and if I'm sad, the first thing I'll do is probably have a wave of sadness. And if I'm happy, I'll feel that. So right now I'm anxious about something I have to do tomorrow. So that's showing up. And I just shake out the anxiety. I'm already feeling better. And then I'll move into the next thing. Okay, now I feel a little silly doing this in front of you. I'll shake that out. Now I'm worried that the cray. And I'll show you my body one more time. So you can see what my body's doing. Hold on. So. And I know you're shaking your hands as well. I'm shaking all of it, but I'm not dancing. Like I'm not right. doing, my body already knows the dancing. Right. Very simple. You're just shaking it off. You're li literally just shaking it off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, five minutes, some sort of great drumming music. James Brown, uh, probably not Enya. I probably wouldn't do this to an Enya song. Okay. Sort of some sort of drumming. To Anne Marie, you are godsend. You are such an energetic miracle for all of us to have this <laughs> opportunity to listen to you. I think it's amazing you're doing this, Rita. I think it's lovely that you're making this available to everybody from all these different traditions. Thank you. Share with everyone how they can reach you. So uh, I have a website. And it's my name, AnneMarieChiassonMD.com. It's easy to Google me, C-H-I-A-S-S-O-N. Yeah, no, I work with people over the phone. I have a, a and I also teach, like I'll be teaching at Kripalu uh, Yoga Retreat Center in April. And I'll, I'll, I, te I teach around the country. I don't send out a lot of emails, but when I am teaching, I'll put it on my website. So Perfect. And do you do personal healing work as well? So someone who's got cancer or heart disease or diabetes oh, yeah. or undiagnosed issues, do you work with them? Oh, yeah. Frequently, people either fly in or I work over the phone and I, I see people um, in Tucson. And for the rest of you, stay smiling, stay joyful, stay cheerful, shake a little, toe tap a little, do some heart-centered meditation. From my heart to yours, lots of love. And I'll see you on another podcast. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.